0: Hi, I'm Irwin McManus, and I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer, and fuller way Uh, not only be a part of the podcast get to the mosaic app and get to the channel and we'll see you there Several years ago,
1: a young woman came up to me with a really intense look. She said, can I ask you a question? And usually when it starts with a question, I know it's going to go deep and fast. She says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, sure. What is it? And I wasn't sure she was offended or angry or confused, but she said, why does the Bible refer to God as Father? Father? Why does the Bible have to use male language to describe God? Why Father? And, and, and it, it could have been perceived in that moment that maybe she had a feminist agenda, but I, I didn't really think so. It, and it, it seemed to me that there was more behind it—that there was there was pain behind that word. That the idea of calling God Father brought for her, it provoked in her so many negative emotions of the life. That she knew. And so when she asked that question, I I looked at her and I said, I I know it's hard to believe, but there was a time where fathers were popular. And she looked at me and said, really? And I said, yes, there was a time where calling someone father was a good thing. And, and, And so the language of God being father was actually an expression of the way our fathers are supposed to be. And she just paused and she said, oh, that that makes sense. It, it's odd. No matter what word or words God would ever choose to describe himself that had in any way a relationship to the way we treat each other would be a word that we would corrupt. And no matter what language we would choose to try to explain who God is and how he relates to us, it could be so quickly shipwrecked by the experiences that we have. And so it's odd for God to choose the language of father to so many who have been fatherless that 's why one of the moments that seems sometimes so filled with tension are days like today and, and I, I want to take a moment and then I want to celebrate what it means to be a father, but maybe even more broadly, I, I, I want to step into what it means to be a man, and, and I know that we have a mixed group of men and women. And I want to assure you that even if you're not a man, the principles that we're going to unwrap apply to you as well. But if you guys would, just for a few moments, this one time, I, I, it would, it would you indulge me and allow me to speak to the men in this room? Because I, I have to tell you that I've, had a, I've talked to a lot of women. Well, I should say a lot of women have talked to me about men. And I've had far more women talk to me about men than men who have talked to me about men. In fact, it seems like the issue of men is far more important to women than it is to men. So even if I'm speaking to men, I think this issue might be important to the women in this room. Because one of the things that's happened in our culture is a recognition that women have been oppressed. They have been pushed to the side. They've been ostracized. They've been treated with less equality and fairness than God would require of us. And so we're in the middle of a revolution where women are discovering their power and their strength and their contribution. And this is an extraordinary moment in history. And it's a good thing. But so oftentimes what happens is the moment we elevate one aspect of the human story, we, we, we tend to diminish another part of it. And so in the midst of this, while we've been elevating women, and I gotta tell you as a dad of a young woman, I want a world where there are no ceilings and no limits for my daughter. I don't want anyone to tell my daughter she cannot do something, and I certainly don't want anyone to pay her less for doing more. But what I've also discovered is that in the middle of this elevation of women, there has been in many ways a diminishing of the consciousness of the male identity. That men are losing their sense of what it means to be a man. And I find there is no one more concerned with this than women. Because if you are a strong woman, you do not want to marry down. You want to find a man who's strong enough for a strong woman. If you've been around my wife, Kim, you know that I'm speaking from experience. I did, no, I did not go find a woman who just naturally submits. I did not find a woman who had no intention or purpose in her life. I did not choose a woman who needed me to give her a reason to live. need to give her a reason to make room for me in her life. And so I'm doing this for you ladies. I want to talk to you men about what it means to be a man. I want to talk to you about mankind. I, I love this word, mankind. I think we've underestimated it because we've kept it together as one phrase and we need to separate it and see it for what it is. Because so oftentimes we have images of what it means to be a man that is actually an antithesis to what God intends for us as men. And we see being a man as almost being in the polar opposite of being kind. And so I love the fact that when we come together as a tribe, when we become who we're supposed to be, that we're actually mankind. And more specifically, i want to talk to you about the making of a gentleman. Now, I know that's old school language. We're not gentlemen anymore. We don't open doors for women anymore, and they don't want us to. But they really do. <laughs> and so you don't open it because you don't want them to look at you and say, who do you think you are opening the door for me? Say, I'm just a gentleman. See, I think we've lost something along the way. And even when I went to fashion years ago, and that made Kim very nervous when I went to fashion... It didn't seem like the most masculine thing in the world to do. But a a huge part of why I went into fashion was my passion to reclaim masculinity. I I, I had an epiphany when Aaron was 15. He was in a band, he was the bass player. They traveled around, little girls screamed. (laughs) They were having the time of their life. And, And he said, Dad, I need some jeans. So we went to the store and we went to this uh, jeans store and, and he starts looking at jeans, but he was not looking at jeans in the men's section. He's looking for jeans in the girls section. And he goes, dad, these are what I want. They were skinny jeans, but they didn't make skinny jeans back then for men. So he had to go get them from the women's section. and said, you are not, you are not leaving this store. Wearing women's jeans. He goes, dad, I'm telling you, this is what I need. As, you know, rock star, I need skinny jeans. And I'm like, I'm telling you, you are not leaving here wearing women's jeans. You can call them skinny, I call them girly. And we had a a huge crisis, and we had to bring the sales guy over. I'm like, do any guys buy these? He said, only like Musicians. And then then he was going to lose the argument, so he went over to the guys' section, and he pulled out the men's jeans, and they're like massive gangbanger, cholo kind of. He goes, all right, Dad, what do you want me to be? Want to be a cholo? Do you want me to be a rocker? Well, we left with girl jeans that day, and it really disturbed me. Because I realize that, that there's this, this, this conflict and crisis and culture of what does it mean to be a man. And the reason fashion was so important to me is that fashion was the places where we tell the story of who we are. And a part of what we go through, even when we don't realize it, when we're choosing what we wear, it reflects the essence of our narrative of who we long to be. And I think, oh, wouldn't it be great if God could just give us a summary of what it means to be a man? If you could just sort of tear away all the religion and all the ritual and all the things that confuse us and, and just give us a, a, a capsule that we could carry through our lives and say, this is what it means to be a man. And this is exactly what happens in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Because God's people were having a conversation with God and they were angry with God, which happens a lot, by the way. They were upset with God, going, What do you want from us? You just don't want, you want all these sacrifices, you want all these rituals, you, God, you want this really complex religion, and God actually presses back, saying, really, you think this is what I want from you? He starts pressing in, and God begins to, to peel away at the pretension of their religion, saying, these are not the things I require of you. All these things are there simply to point you to the essence of what it means to be human. And live in relationship to me. And so in verse 8 of Micah 6, God says this. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. See, if you're confused about everything the Bible says, and you say, well, I, I just don't have time to read the whole Bible. I, I can't understand what it says. Here, here's a summary statement from God that if you'll just hold on to, you'll know actually how to live your life in a way that is pleasing to God. It will make the world a better place. Because if you understand nothing else, I hope you get that God has loved you with such intention and such passion. That he has done everything necessary for us to live in relationship with him. That's why we're always going back to Jesus. Because Jesus is our promise of God's passionate love for us. That God would step into human history, take on flesh and blood, walk among us, live a sinless and perfect life, be crucified on our behalf, buried and raised from the dead. And this is what God has done for us. And so many times we go, okay, God, I get what you've done for me, but I don't really know how to live this out. God says, here it is. It's simple. Do justice. It's a great summary statement. Do justice. And it doesn't say... Admire justice or believe in justice. Justice has an action. You need to do justice. And the reason God tells us to do justice is he knows we'll be pressed against a world that is unjust. See, if we do nothing, the world becomes unjust. And so you cannot step back and say, justice is not my responsibility. So oftentimes when we talk about our own responsibility, we talk about our moral character in the way we live our lives as individuals, but God speaks of our morality as more than just an individual expression. God speaks of our morality and how we engage the world and affect the people around us. A man of integrity does justice. He makes the world better. He acts on behalf of others. That's what gentlemen do. That's what we do when we embrace our masculinity. We act on behalf of others. I, I think a lot of men have misunderstood masculinity. I know Latinos have. We have this old machismo thing, and it's like, you know, machismo's like, you know, I'm, I'm a man. I don't cry. I, I eat meat. I don't walk into kitchens. I just have my woman. And, they, and so the men sit around drinking beer, talking about nothing. While the men, women are in the kitchen cooking dinner, talking about how to change the world. And they leave their homes and make the men pretend that they're the ones that are leading the home. And, and, and they prove their machismo, their masculinity by intimidation and abuse all too often a misunderstanding that we've been given power to rule rather than power to liberate. See, God says this is how you do good. This is how you live out your life. You do justice. You use whatever power you have, not for your own good, but for the good of others, not simply for your freedom, but the freedom of others, not just for your justice, but for the justice of everyone who does not have justice. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, God says it like this, learn to do right. I think it's important. He assumes that we may not know how to do right. Learn to do right. How many things have you learned how to do in your life? Did you learn how to ride a bicycle? Learn how to drive a stick shift? You learn how to work a computer? There's so many things in your life you've learned, but you don't realize that you need to learn how to do right as well. And at first doing right may not feel right. But you do what is right because it's right until it feels right. And you learn to do right. And he says, then you seek justice. You don't hope justice comes to you. You pursue justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. There's one consistent narrative here. Use your power to protect the powerless. Use your strength to bring justice to those who have no justice. This week has been disturbing on multiple levels. It was disturbing to to realize that some man drove across the country. I will not even give him the privilege of having his name spoken. Drives across the country and opens fire on congressmen because they're Republicans while they're practicing for a baseball game to raise money. And, and what really disturbed me was even on CNN when they gave another man a voice to say, I just wanna be clear, he's not evil. He's just upset about policies. And I there's something wrong with us. And during the same time, you have then the verdict that comes in for Philando Castile. And you see all those individuals from Alton Sterling on down the list of African-American men who have been brutally killed. And, and our legal system is in jeopardy of limiting the power of justice to those who are powerless and trapped in injustice. And we need to do something about it. this isn't about taking political sides this is not about trying to be political in any way this is about being human and if we have the privilege of having justice for ourselves we must accept the responsibility of ensuring justice for everyone that's what men do when Kim and I got married we didn't really know a lot about each other that's true for everyone who gets married. They think they know a lot. And, and there are things you just don't talk about when you're dating or engaged. And after we were married, Kim found out that I was a pacifist. And I had become a pacifist through a number of things. But, but some of it was actually my best understanding of trying to follow Jesus and become like him. I, I was a, a new follower of Christ when I met Kim. And, and, and I was trying to live out this faith in the purest way I understood But Kim's foster father was a World War II hero who I think actually fought in Normandy. And so she admired him for his military service. And then we're having this conversation, and I blurt out that I'm a pacifist. And she went through the roof, and it was clear she was not. And we went to war. And she starts painting all these theories. If you've ever been around Kim, you'll understand. Oh, so if someone breaks into our house and starts stealing our things, you're not going to do anything about it, huh? Or, and I said, well, honey, things are not in, that important. They, we don't have that much. They, and back then, there wasn't really anything to steal. And she said, oh, so bad. what if somebody walked into the house with a gun and they were going to hurt me? And she just kept creating all these scenarios. And like, it's just so good to know that I'm not safe with you. It's just so good to know that, that if I need someone to protect me, it won't be you. And, and, and it, after a while, I'm like, you're on your own if you're going to keep going like this. And, <laughs> and we're just having these philosophical debates about pacifism and violence and military action. And, 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 and then there was a Friday night. I, I went out to uh, this place called Billy Bob's. It's the largest... I guess, nightclub in the United States. It's a rodeo nightclub in Fort Worth, Texas, where they have one of those electric, you know, mechanical bulls, and thousands of cowboys go in. And so I went over to Billy Bob's with a couple of friends, but, but I, I didn't go there to, to drink. I went there because the line outside of Billy Bob's was a, line, a mile long, people waiting to get in. So I thought, I kind of have a captive audience. I can just sort of walk through the line and talk to people about Jesus. So on that Friday night I just decided to go to Billy Bob's and talk to people about Jesus while they were waiting to get inside of the club and I might have had a Bible or two just sort of waiting in case somebody wanted one I had some material and I know it was a little, a little strange but I was just seeing how it would go and it was going pretty well having good conversations with cowboys and then all of a sudden this massive, massive guy just throws open the door of the club and he's grabbing a young woman by the hair, dragging her out of the club. And she's screaming. And no one inside the club and not the doorman stopped him. And he came out of the club grabbing her and he turned to his right down in front of the club and then dragged her down an alley while she was screaming and there were hundreds and hundreds of people watching and no one did a thing. I remember that, that scene in The Patriot when, when Mel Gibson's having a conversation with the woman who loves him. And he avoided war because he knew the violence of war. and He knew how war would destroy his own soul again. But he watched the war begin to consume his family. And, and he finally had to go. He had to fight. And he was overwhelmed with his own sense of guilt. And, and she looked at him and said, you've done nothing wrong. And he looked at her and said, I've done nothing and that is wrong. And in that moment, I saw this guy dragging this girl down the street. And it happened so fast. You don't even have time for it to react. And, and in that moment, I had all this stuff in my hand. and just handed him to a stranger. And I went down that alley. And I remember getting home that night and saying to Kim, I'm not a pacifist. <laughs> I've realized that power must be used to defend the helpless." The weak, the oppressed. See, he says, do justice. And don't let all the injustice in the world justify an action. Because we, especially as the people of Jesus, must always step into the space for the oppressed for the widow, for the poor. He says, seek justice. He says, here's how you do it. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. That's why I'm, I'm so excited that on July 2nd, we are having the, our day of refuge. We're going to have a day here where we celebrate our responsibility and opportunity to create a space of safety. To create a home for those who have lost their homes. And I love the fact that Mosaic is known across the city as the pioneers and leaders of welcoming Muslim refugees from Syria. Man, kind. The making of a gentleman begins when we act on behalf of others, but then it moves to when we make gentleness our strength. You want to be a man? You want to be a real man? Act on behalf of others. Use your strength for others, and then make gentleness your strength. I think for too long, we've seen gentleness as the opposite of strength. Gentleness is not weakness. You cannot be gentle if you're weak. You're just weak. Gentleness comes when you have strength and you use that strength to comfort and to heal. He says, love kindness. This is different than do justice. You need to do justice, but you need to love kindness. I have to admit, sometimes I just do kindness. How about you? See, sometimes I don't love kindness. Sometimes I just do kindness because I'm not feeling kindness. I've had that happen a few times, and it's usually when I feel a little bit impatient. My, my wife says that I'm impatient. That's not true unless you make me wait. And, and I can think of two moments where I just felt myself in real crisis. Once was I was in the line at the grocery store. Have you ever been in a grocery store with um, a, a cashier who was in a crisis of occupation? They were in the wrong job and they didn't realize it. And you, you knew that and you wanted to give them that insight and say, you should not be doing this. This is not your calling. You've not cr- been created for this. And, and sometimes I want to liberate people from that prison. And, and I'm standing in line and there's only one person in front of me, but it's taking forever. And I'm watching all the other lines just go through. I got in that line because it was a short line. But everybody's just going through because the other people knew how to count or they knew how to work the machine or something like that. And it's just taking forever. And you ever had a customer who just it keeps looking for their money, and you're, they're in front of you like, oh, "Well, I, I know I I have another dollar here somewhere, and they can't find it." I'm telling you, I have done this. I've said, "Hey, I've got it." They go, "What?" I said, "I'm going to pay for everything you have." They go, "Really?" I said, "Yes." You know, I just I just consider yourself like blessed, and uh, I even I even like mention Jesus, but it's really like I'm doing myself a huge, huge gift by moving them on, I'm blessing both of us. I'm sending you. But I was in line at one of the stories nearby here and it just took forever and forever and, and I felt myself getting a little bit out of control and I was about to say something that was instructive. And then the woman noticed that I was leaning in and she looked at me she goes, Pastor Irwin? i like, yes <laughs> so good to see you and uh, how long have you been coming to Mosaic? And I'm like, oh, thank you God for catching me before I did unkindness so I, sometimes I do kindness but I don't love kindness I still remember the coffee shop in Vancouver such a cool city I, I go get a a cappuccino. I walk into what here is like one of the best coffee shops in Vancouver. So I walk in and, and I get in line. I said, "Could I have an?" I like things extra hot. It's just my way. And I said, "Could I have an extra hot cappuccino?" And she looked at me. And she said, "No." I said, "What?" I, I, I said, "You." Maybe it's my accent. You, you know? Could I no? Could I have an extra hot cappuccino? She goes, "No, I'm sorry. We cannot do that." I said, no, you can. You, you, you can. I know you can. And you, just, you just heat up the milk a little bit more, and it, it makes the cappuccino a little hotter. And she looked at me, and she said, the owners will not allow that because they will not ruin the quality of their product. They insist that you experience the coffee the way it should be experienced. There's nothing worse when you take elitism and hipster together and you got elite hipsters and and, and I thought I'm gonna play the Latino card, the immigrant card, because they're Canadians. So this has gotta help. And so I looked at her and I said, Well, you know, I'm from El Salvador. And I'm a Latino, and my, you know, I, we need our coffee very hot. Because it's like my culture. And, and she goes, I'm sorry. How insensitive can you be? And and then I was I, I was gonna say something about how what the owner wants should submit to what the customer wants. I was just gonna, you know, give him a few thoughts on on business practices and she looked at him, she goes, Your voice mosaic uh huh. I listen to the podcast. You're Irwin. I go, I am. I'll be happy to enjoy that coffee any way you'd like to give it to me. And I'm just so grateful you have such a high value for quality and presentation. And I'm just doing kindness, but I'm not feeling kindness. I'm not loving kindness. I'm just doing kindness. And there's a reason why he says do justice, but love kindness because you become what you love. If you admire, If you love wealth, you will admire wealthy people. If you love power, you will admire powerful people. If you love success, you will admire successful people. See, what you admire reveals what you love. But if you love kindness, you will admire kind people. You know one of the hardest things in the world for a dad is to give their daughter... In marriage, you know, to give their... Uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done was to give Mariah away in marriage. It's, it's, it, I don't know why daughters... It's just like that with daughters. It's not like that with sons. Like, my son, like, take him, please. Somebody, somebody, somebody marry this boy. I mean, he's like, you know, and we'll auction him off. We'll do something. But it's, it's different with guys. With, you know, my son... My daughter, I and mean, when she came and told me she met this guy named Jake, and I could see she was in love, and she, you know, let me know they were going to get married long before he knew. And, uh, and I thought, well, what well, you know, who is this Jake, and where'd you meet him, and was he coming just to church just to meet you? Because I know how that goes. I know why you're here. And I, what does he do? And she goes, he's a drummer. I, I want you to know, as a dad, you never wake up thinking, I want my daughter to marry the drummer of a rock band. That's what I want. I want my daughter to marry a drummer. You'd be going, serial killer, drummer. It would be right after that. No dad, I want my daughter to marry a musician. Like doctor, scientist, entrepreneur employed human, <laughs> you know? I said, oh, all right, so he's a drummer for a band, and how are they doing? Well, she goes, you know, they're, they're playing. And, and, and I said, so where does he live? Well, he lives with the band. So he, he's gonna go from living with the band to living with you. And, and, and I said, why what, 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 what don't you wait a little while? See how it, how it goes. You know, see how this band Laney, how it plays out, you know. And she goes, no, I want to marry him now. And she goes, were, were, were you successful when you guys got married? I said, no, we were, we were, we were poorer than poor. <laughs> she goes, well, that's, that's the way I want to do it. And, and then I met Jake. And the moment I met Jake, I knew he was exactly the right man for my daughter. Because, see, if you know Mariah, Mariah is powerful. Mariah is, is like a typhoon underneath kindness. And she's strong. She's like my little warrior princess. And, and I thought, who's going to marry her? Because that man needs to be strong. That man needs to be a man's man. And when I met Jake, he was the kindest person I'd ever met. And Jake, I, I still see this to this day. You are so kind and gentle and compassionate and caring, and you are everything I think of when I think of a man. And I am so honored to have you as my son, and I'm so honored to marry to my God. And we need some gentle men to rise up who love kindness who make this their principal virtue in their life, who never use power to overpower. They never use their strength to intimidate. They understand that their strength is to be a source of protection, not a source of intimidation. And I wonder how many of us are so afraid of being powerless that we act like we're more powerful than we are. You see, when you know your strength, you don't have to flex that muscle. And way too many men are spending more time working on their abs than working on their attitudes. So I'm going to suggest you you put some clothes on. Because in Colossians 3, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. (laughs) Come on, that's a good transition. (laughs) Clothe yourselves. Here it is, men. See, we hear these words, and, and women receive them and embrace them, but we men need to receive them and embrace them. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's what a real man looks like. Jesus was the most powerful man who ever lived. Now listen to what Titus says about Jesus in chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Listen to that again. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. So we think, oh, when Jesus showed up on the scene, when God stepped into human history, we think, oh, what we saw was God's power. What we saw was God's wisdom. But saying, say, no, when love and kindness appeared. So when Jesus walked this earth, we saw love in its purest form. We saw kindness in its most powerful expression. Because the most powerful man who ever lived was the most compassionate and gentle and kind and caring human being who ever walked this earth. I want to be that kind of man. I've made a lot of resolutions in my life, but years ago I made a resolution that I held dear to my heart. I decided that my life ambition was to be the kindest person in the world. I'm not there yet. I'm working my way there. But it's still my ambition. I I made it my ambition that no matter who it was or where I was, what context I was in, that I would choose kindness as my highest virtue. Because I am convinced that kindness is the greatest expression of strength. And it's interesting, the scriptures tell us that, that when you love your enemies, when you return good for evil, it is like putting hot coals on a person's head. See, the way you justify another person's violence is by responding with violence. The way you justify another person's darkness is to respond with darkness. But when you respond, even bringing justice with kindness, a person does not know how to war against that. I, I love the movie The Intern with Robert De Niro when he's trying to teach these you know, young tech guys how to be a man, how to be a gentleman. And he explained to them that a handkerchief is not for the man. That the man carries a handkerchief for when the woman needs it. That that's the best metaphor for what it means to be a man. Everything that you have been entrusted with is not there for you. It is there so that you can give it to the benefit of others. Men do not take. Men give. Make gentleness your strength. And then he says, and to walk humbly with your God. So simple. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Act on behalf of others. Make gentleness your strength. And then align your life to God's purpose. To walk humbly with your God. I think it's important that he says to walk with God. Not to stand with God or to rest with God or to wait with God. He's actually telling us if we're going to walk with God, we're going to have to walk with God. It's going to require movement. It's going to require progress. It's going to require us moving forward. And here's the thing. Where God is going, God understands, but you do not understand. See, what God sees, you cannot see. What God knows, you do not know. So if you're going to walk with God, you're going to walk into the unknown. You're going to walk into the uncertain. You're going to walk into the mystery. Yeah. So when you walk with God, you get a really clear understanding that he's the one leading the way, not you. Yeah. And so oftentimes what we want is we want God to be available for us so that he can walk with us. But he doesn't say, hey, get God to walk with you. He says, you need to walk with God. Yeah. And one of the great challenges for men is that we're taught we need to be our own man. Yeah. And to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't need anyone or anything. And so we live our lives shipwrecked because you cannot live your life alone. You have to own that you need people. Men need to own that they need other men in their life. You need to own that you need women in your life. You need to own you need people in your life. You need to own you need community in your life. You need to own you need the church in your life. So you need to own that you need God and only when you walk humbly with God do you become more aware of your need for God. And when I said you need to align your life to God's purpose, originally, I wanted to say you need to submit your life to God's purpose. But I thought, well, that can sound so offensive because we don't want to submit. And the reality is that you, you and me, we need to submit to God's purpose in our life. That word submission is a beautiful word, actually. I know we don't like it. I've been married 33 years, and I've almost never had a conversation about it with Kim. Because she's not really prone toward submission. But so I I had to develop a different strategy. Because I I realized that most men, when they say, well, my wife won't submit, I go, wow, it's because, see, the word submit means to come under someone's mission. And if you don't have a mission worth, worth being under, your wife would have to crawl under your mission just to live there. If you want someone to want to submit, have a mission so big that it doesn't make them less, it makes them more. And when you submit to God, you do not become less. You become more. When you submit to God, he doesn't push you down, he pulls you up. And we need men who acknowledge their need for God. Who stop trying to pretend that they can do it by themselves. Look, I'll I'll, I'll make this our own, like, AA meeting. My name is Erwin Raphael McManus. And I need God. And the life I long to live, I cannot live alone. And not only do I need God, but I need you. Because the life I long to live, I cannot live by myself. We need to get to a place where we stop hiding our need and start acknowledging our need. Because the most masculine thing you can do is to own your need for people and your need for God. So we need to walk humbly with our God. This morning was a little peculiar for me, Father's Day. I opened up Instagram, and I saw all these great photographs of people I know with their dads. And I saw all these great photos, and some of them go so far back. And then I thought, oh, I should post one. And I realized, oh, that's right, I I don't have one. Because you have to actually have met your father or know your father to have a photograph with your father. It was a very surreal moment for me going, I can't post that. And then I had the thought, oh, I'll post Photographs of my kids, because I'm their father. And I thought, that seems kind of weird. <laughs> to post a photograph of me with my kids going, Happy Father's Day. <laughs> and I guess they're the ones that have to post that one. And I realized that, that that's why so many people don't understand why God would choose the language of father to describe himself. Because we are the tribe of the fatherless, so many of us. And then if you had a father... So oftentimes, he was not a source of strength or comfort. He did not reflect for you gentleness and protection. But just because we didn't live up to what God created us to be doesn't mean we should give up on what God calls us to become. We can become the first generation of men who restore mankind. We can be the makers of gentlemen. And maybe there'll be a generation coming up going, I get it. I know I." the Bible uses the language of father for God. Because my father was strong but gentle. He was powerful but kind. My father was a gentleman. Every time I look at him, I see the flesh and blood manifestation of love and kindness on this earth. When we embrace our masculinity, we become like Jesus. When we're whole and we allow God to heal us, we begin to express God's image and God's character. May I pray for you? Even if you're never a biological father. My prayer for you as a man is that you would step into the gift of your manhood. That you would realize that whatever strength you've been given, it's because you're to be a protector of the weak. You're to seek justice. You're to bring your strength for those who are oppressed and broken. And what a beautiful world it would be if men were known less for violence and more for compassion. What an amazing turn of events if we became real men.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.